Good morning, Journey Church. How are you doing this morning? It's good to see you in the house of God this morning. What an incredible service so far, baptisms, worship, and now we're, we're going to have a chance to dive into, into the Word. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, uh, I'm Alec. I'm the business administrator and one of the staff pastors here at Journey, and it's a, a pleasure to be sharing with you this morning. For those of you who may not know me well, me and my wife, who was the lovely lady with the glasses up here singing this morning, we've been at Journey. Yeah, she's great, isn't she? I love her. <laughs> Uh, we, we've been here at Journey uh, since January 22nd, 10 months to, to, to the day uh, that, that, that we came and, and uh, j- just jumped into everything that God is doing here at, at Journey Church. And, and what an honor it is to be a part of a church that is doing incredible things for the kingdom of God. In two short weeks, we're going to be launching a third service that, that will, as a church, allow us to reach that one more that, that God has called us to. So 8.05, 9.45, and 11.25 are going to be the service times for that. So over the next few weeks, be praying about and thinking thinking about who you're going to invite with you to come experience that this morning. But today, I, I want to uh, take you into week three of our current message series, In God We Trust. How many of you have enjoyed it so far? It's been an incredible journey. We, we, we absolutely love it. But today, I want to talk with you a little bit about generosity. And I felt a hush come over the room as I, as I said that. Somebody started gri- gripping their wallet because they, they know what usually comes with that. But this isn't a typical message about generosity. Because I want you to understand the underlying uh, truth of this this morning. Is that generosity always, somebody say always. It always stems from the faithfulness of God. Generosity always stems from the faithfulness of God. So, so I, I don't come to you this morning on this topic with the mind of an administrator who's going to be telling you how much you need to be giving. I come to you with the heart of a pastor who wants you to trust God deeply and to experience his best for your life. So can we do that together this morning? Let's pray and invite the Holy Spirit into this time. Heavenly Father, we just thank you today for your word, that it is truth, that it is the bread of life to us, and that you are here meeting with us today. So let your word, your truth, your gospel, your grace resonate in in our hearts today as we come to you, Father, with open hearts and with open hands to receive what you have for us. And we pray all that in Jesus' mighty name. And and the whole church said together, amen, amen. The key takeaway that, that I want you to understand in this message about generosity is this. Trusting in God through obedient generosity leads to extravagant blessing. We, we serve a God whose scripture says is rich in mercy. He's abounding in grace. He pours out, out blessing. He gave, he gave his one and only son for you and I. And God desires to bless, to pour out, to be generous. And he calls you and I to do the same. So when we uh, couple our obedience with God's generosity, extravagant things happen. But here's the question that we have to, uh, to ask on the other side of this key takeaway. Do I know and trust the faithfulness of God? Do I know in my mind and in my heart, and do I trust through tangible actions that God is faithful? So let's dive into this topic of generosity and faithfulness together this morning as we read out of 1 Kings 17, verses 1 through 16. They say this, Now Elijah, who was from Tishbe in Gilead, told King Ahab, As surely as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, the God I serve, there will be no dew or rain during the next few years until I give the word. Then the Lord said to Elijah, Go to the east and hide by Cherith Brook near where it enters the Jordan River. Drink from the brook and eat from whatever the ravens bring to you, for I have commanded them to bring you food. So Elijah did as the Lord told him and camped beside Cherith Brook, east of the Jordan. 
The ravens brought him bread and meat each morning and evening, and he drank from the brook. But after a while, the brook dried up, for there was no rainfall anywhere in the land. Then the Lord said to Elijah, Go and live in the village of Zarephath, near the city of Sidon. I have instructed a widow there to feed you. So he went to Zarephath, and as he arrived to the gates of the village, he saw a widow gathering sticks, and he asked her, Would you please bring me a little water in a cup? As she was going to get it, he called to her, Bring me a bite of bread, too. But she said, I swear by the Lord your God that I don't have a single piece of bread in the house. I have only a handful of flour left in a jar and a little bit of cooking oil in the bottom of the jug. I was just gathering a few sticks to cook this last meal, and then me and my son will die. But Elijah said to her, Don't be afraid. Go ahead and do just as you've said, but make a little bread for me first. Then use what's left to prepare a meal for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. There will always be flour and olive oil left in your containers until the time when the Lord sends rain and the crops grow again. So she did as Elijah said, and she and Elijah and her family continued to eat for many days. There was always enough flour and olive oil left in the containers, just as the Lord had promised Elijah, just as the Lord had promised. Now, some of you may read the first few verses of that chapter, and you say, this guy is talking about generosity today. Yet the passage opens up with a drought. Those two things really don't seem to add up. So let me give you a little bit of context about 1 Kings 17. In this time, King Ahab, the leader of of Judah, which was one of the, the two nations of Israel, had turned his eyes away from God. He was serving and worshiping other man-made gods like Baal, which many of us know through reading the the Old Testament. And many of you may have heard the phrase, as goes the leader, so goes the nation. As goes the pastor, so goes the church. As goes the father, so goes the household. Since Ahab was doing these things, the southern kingdom of Judah did them too. And as a nation, they turned their eyes away from God. So yes... We serve a generous and benevolent God, but we also serve a God who awards obedience with blessing and disobedience with consequence. Now, for you and I today, you may hear that and say that that's a, that's a, little, bit of, that's a little harsh. But for you and I today, we live in the reality of a risen Savior and a risen King and Jesus Christ who paid the final price for all of our sins and who bore the weight for us. So, the only, really, the only consequence that I receive from disobedience in this life comes when I stand before God in all of eternity. And because I chose to separate myself from God in this life, God will then choose to separate himself from me for all of eternity. But in Elijah's day, in 1 Kings 17, they were living under a different covenant with a different set of rules and more immediate consequence. And the interesting thing about the so-called God that, that they were serving in that time, Baal, is that he was believed to be the God of the sky, the God of the weather. So when God brought a drought over the land, he was not just punishing Israel for worshiping other gods, but he was making a statement. The God you're serving isn't as powerful as you think he is. In fact, he's not even real at all, because if he was, he'd be able to stop this drought. And the same thing, the same statement comes to mind today for you and I when we look around in our world and see the many things that that are happening around us, the things that are going on in our country, the things that, that, that are going on in other countries. 
the amount of people who are looking to other sources as their God. But the amazing thing, the thing that I love about saying in God we trust is that when we make that declarative statement, we are saying that there is no God higher, there is no God greater, there is no God stronger than the God I serve and there never will be. Somebody said amen to that today. Elijah knew the strength of the God that he served. And so Elijah was confident enough to stand up to the disobedience going on in his nation. Elijah knew the faithfulness of the Lord. And if Elijah were here today, he would want you and I to know that same strength and that same faithfulness. Because it's that strength and faithfulness that provides the foundation for the rest of this message. And the first thing that we need to take out of this passage is this. We should always always, always seek the giver more than we do the gift. God called Elijah to a specific task for a specific season. And despite what what we may think, Elijah didn't actually know the timeline of the drought, except that God had given him the authority to end the drought when God released him to do so. But each step of the way, God provided sustenance for his faithful servant to live off of. God calling Elijah to the brook of Cherith was twofold. First, it was for Elijah's protection against Ahab. Because you can imagine if a prophet goes up against a king and says, hey, what you're doing is wrong and and there's going to be consequence because of it, you can imagine that king's probably going to be a little upset. So it was first for Elijah's protection, but second and more importantly, it was so Elijah would come to know deeply in his soul to be fully dependent on God as his provider. Because, the next thing, in a season of drought, Elijah had to trust that God would keep the brook flowing. Even though the brook had dried up, that didn't mean the provision of God had dried up. Elijah had to seek the giver more than he did the gift. I'll give you an example of that. Me and my wife, uh, or or I should say my wife went went through a job change at the beginning of, of the summer. And it was really a, a blessing in disguise because it was a job that she w- was unhappy in and she had been un- unhappy in it for a while. In any case, when you go down from two incomes to one, it can be a little difficult. But we knew the faithfulness of God in that season. We knew the reliability of God in that season. And here's what we learned. Before we start stressing out, over the things that are going on around us, before I start getting anxious and fearful about the uncertainty in this life, I need to step out of that stress and I need to step into the presence of God, just like Elijah did. Because because Elijah knew the giver more than he did the gift, he didn't have to stress in the middle of this drought. And the thing that I want you to understand this morning is that before God ever provides for your needs, God wants to provide for your soul. Before God ever pours out blessing on you, he wants you to know him as the intimate creator who crafted you long before you were ever born, who has a design and a purpose for your life, who has a calling on you. Because knowing that builds faith. And from that faith and trust, those things keep us on target towards what really matters. That kind of faith resounds the words of Psalm 37, which says in verse 24, the Lord upholds my hand. I have been young and now I am old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. He is ever lending generously and his children become a blessing. 
just like Elijah and just like the writer of this psalm, God has called each of us to a task, to be a blessing, to be embodiers of his gospel. Just like he provided for Elijah during the drought, he will provide for you in the middle of your service and your calling to his kingdom. But all too often, we get this principle mixed up. We seek the gift more than we do the giver. We often seek the product of blessing more than we do the instrument of blessing, who is God. And what we have to remember is that generosity is not always a reciprocal act. Often, generosity sees the opportunity to bless rather than it does the opportunity to be blessed. Rather than paying a tithe to buy the favor of God, generous stewardship freely gives the tithe as an act of obedience, knowing that I'm sowing into something that I may not immediately reap a bounty on. Speaking of tithing, let me talk to you about that for a second. In this passage, if you remember, in 1 Kings 17, there was a moment, uh, uh, in fact, many moments, in which Elijah was fed by a raven, in which the raven would bring meat to him and and laid in front of him. According to the Old Testament law, that would have been unclean and improper for Elijah to do, because meat from the beak of a raven would have been deemed unclean. Yet God commanded the raven to bring food to Elijah. Why do you think that is? Because even to the God who wrote the Old Testament law and set it all in motion, the spirit of the law mattered more than the letter of the law. The spirit of the law mattered more than the letter of the law. So how do we apply that to our generosity, you might ask? Some of us know that God has commanded us as his followers, you and I, to give 10% of our income as a tithe to the church. But many of us stop at that 10%. And we shortstop the rest of our generosity because I've already followed the letter of the law. I've already checked the box. I've already done the task. And I need not do more. And so I shortstop generosity coming out of my life, compassion being poured out onto other people, love being poured out onto other people, generosity, blessing, favor, forgiveness being poured out onto other people because I think I've checked the box of generosity. But let me tell you something about the tithe. The tithe is an obedient recognition of the faithfulness of God. It is me returning to God what is already his. Generosity, on the other hand, is anything that I give beyond the tithe. It is me blessing others out of what God has blessed me with. But so often, we get caught up with with, with what's happening in the economy. We get caught up with what's happening with the bills, with the kids, with life, with the car, with my job. That I shortstop the rest of my blessing that I shortstop the rest of my pouring out. We always see the problem rather than the solution. And that's the next thing this morning that we have to focus on. We have to focus on the solution, the giver, not the problem, the gift. If we are faithfully serving and trusting in the Lord, his provision for your life has not dried up. Because unless I miss something, Even though the price of everything has gone up, the faithfulness of God has not gone down in this season in our country. Somebody said amen to that. The faithfulness in every season of God in your life has not gone down, even though it may not be appearing in the way you think it should. God is still giving. God is still pouring out blessing. So I, as a reflection of who he is, should still be giving and pouring out blessing. It may not always be in tangible ways with our resources. It may just be in the way that I act towards another. It may be in the kindness and the gentleness, the love that I show. But going back to 1 Kings 17, 
when the brook dried up, Elijah, God led Elijah to the next point of provision. And it took faith to get to that next point of provision. It took faith to see the solution rather than the problem. And so Elijah comes to Zarephath. And he encounters this widow that God told him that he would. And there comes the next question that often lingers in our minds when we're reading 1 Kings 17. Why would Elijah be called to be fed by a widow? Why would God send Elijah to be fed by a widow? Widows didn't have much in this time. They often struggled to provide for themselves, let alone anybody else as we see happening in this passage. But God knew the full story. Even more than Elijah did, and surely even more than the widow did. God did not call Elijah to the widow for the widow to provide for Elijah, but for Elijah to provide for the widow. Because whenever God's servant is called somewhere, it is to bless the environment that they step into, not to be blessed by that environment. The woman, if you notice and you go back and read, she already had everything she needed to be blessed. She already had the the flour and the jar of oil. However, she focused on her scarcity rather than she did God's abundance. She focused on what she didn't have rather than what she did have. And how many times do you and I do the same thing? How many times do you and I, like this widow did, we hold so tightly onto what we have out of fear of losing it? We hold so tightly because we don't want to miss out. And that tight grip often leads to us missing out on many things. And I'm convinced, I am convinced beyond a shadow of a doubt that there is is nothing with a tighter grip than a toddler. How many of you know that that this morning? Nothing, nothing in this world has a tighter grip than than, than a toddler. They grab something off off the table, they grab something up off off the ground, and they hold so tightly onto it, they know they they shouldn't have it, but still they they, they cling to it. Better yet, you're walking along the sidewalk one day, they see a bloody syringe on the sidewalk, they grab the bloody syringge, and you're trying to wrestle it from them, you're you're, you're trying to get it back from them. And and once you actually do, they start screaming and yelling at you like you're the problem, like you didn't just save their life. Like, come on, what? Come on. Tight grips. We all have a tight grip on something. And obviously we're taught it from a young age. We're looking at toddlers as an example. But the character and the posture that God calls you and I to, that he desires for you and I as Christians, is to live life with an open hand, not a closed fist. To live life that seeks to bless rather than to be blessed. To live a life that not only allows me to be generous with my resources— but to be generous with my time, to be generous with my love, to be generous with my forgiveness, to give out of what God has given me. But all that starts with releasing the tight grip that we have on that which we treasure most. And here's the next thing we have to understand. The faithfulness of God to provide will always be enough for me to follow him no matter what. There's a song that says, I, know, I don't know what the day will bring, but I know who brings the day. In order to know the provision of God, I have to first know God himself. Relationship with God is what breeds contentment through every season, through every volatile circumstance that you and I go to, go through. And I want you to understand this this morning, my friend. No amount of riches, no amount of status, no amount of, of acclaim in this life can garner the satisfaction for your, that your soul so desperately yearns for. Only God can do that. 
Only God can bring the contentment and the satisfaction, the fulfillment that you so desperately long for. But it all goes back to this, the key takeaway. Obedience enables us to be extravagantly generous. Obedience enables us to be extravagantly generous. Looking to God as our source, looking to God for our peace and our hope builds a faith that sees provision in all things. And because I see provision in all things, I see an opportunity to be generous in all things. See, because the language in this passage implies that the woman was once very well off and provided for. She was the the mistress of a household, as we read a little further down in the passage, who was the counterpart to the master of a household in in that time. She had an upper room, which was like having a a built-in bowling alley and a pool in the backyard. She was set, in other words. But then drought set in. Then her husband died, and the resources, the provisions, slowly began to go with it. She had fallen on tough times. So when Elijah comes to her, her reaction, quite honestly, to his request is one that that any sensible person, quite frankly, any any sensible parent would have had. Sir, I I have a child to provide for. I can't provide for you, too. But Elijah's response to the widow was even more notable. Because even though she was apprehensive, even though she was scared and holding so tightly on on what, what she had, he said, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. And God's speaking that same thing to you this morning. Because I don't know what you're going through, but I can tell you this. Don't be afraid, because just as Elijah said to the widow, God is faithful. God is good, and God is still with you. He did not respond in anger or frustration, but with a comfort and with a peace because he had seen the faithfulness of God in the wilderness, and he knew that if God provided for him there, then God would provide for this widow here. Elijah had been obedient to God up until this point, which enabled him to be extravagantly generous to this woman. He said, God has made a promise to me. Now I'm going to make a promise to you. Everything's going to be okay. Everything is going to be okay. And I want you to understand this this morning, friend. In the same way that God made a promise to Elijah and this widow, God is going to make a promise to you today that when you take care of his mission, when you take care of his people, when you take care of his neighbor, of your neighbor, when you take care of his church, he will take care of you. Elijah's response to the widow, it may not have entirely eliminated her fear. And what I'm saying to you this morning may, may not entirely eliminate your fear. It may not completely dispel the distrust that you have in your heart. But for the widow, what Elijah said was enough to give her hope. It allowed her a glimmer of hope to see that there was still a God who cared for her. That there was still a God who saw the need of her family and wanted to provide for them. And see, the thing that we have to to see in this passage is that the blessing did not just benefit Elijah. The blessing did not just benefit the woman. It benefited her entire household. Her obedience enabled her to be extravagantly generous to her household. She knew that God cared. She knew that God was faithful. And here's the thing you have to understand about that. God cares for your family immensely more than you do. God cares for you immensely more than you do. And because he cares for you so much, he is always going to be faithful. 
He's always going to be trustworthy. His faithfulness to provide was active and abundant in 1 Kings 17. And I can assure you that it is still active and abundant now. But we reread this passage and we often relate to it. And we say, how could anything possibly be done with what I have? Here's the next thing. God math will never make sense to me. It really won't. A drop of oil and a little bit of bread and a little bit of flour is all that she had. But God saw infinitely more. Let me give you an example of that. How many of you have heard of girl math? Anybody? Anybody? I did not know what girl math was until I got married. I very quickly found out. Because my wife comes to me one day and she says, Honey, I got a couple pieces of clothing for $30. And I said, well, praise God. You only spent $30. But then she said, but they were offering free shipping if I spent $50. So what did I do? I spent $50. I'm the financial administrator of the church here, y'all. And I looked, I looked her dead in the face. I said, baby, the math ain't mathing. What you just said does not make sense. But God's math won't make sense to us either. God's math will not make sense to us either. The sacrifice sometimes seems greater than the reward. And I can guarantee you with my wife it was. The sacrifice was greater than the reward. But, but more often than not, more often than not, when God's math gets to flowing and when God sticks his hand into the equation, the, the sacrifice, the reward is always greater than the sacrifice because God's math does not make sense to us. The faithfulness of God sees far more out than we can, ever can than we ever would. His provision, the Bible says he owns a cattle on a thousand hills. God's provision is unending. And this woman figured that out very quickly. She very quickly figured out that the God Baal wasn't the answer. The Phoenician gods that they were serving wasn't the answer, but there was a God in Israel who cared. There was a God in Israel who saw. There was a God in Israel who abundantly blessed those who faithfully trusted in him. And because of that trust, because of that blessing, the widow was able to provide for her household. Here's the next thing. Stewardship, trust through generosity is the investment we sow now into a generation that will lead later. The widow's obedience allowed her to provide for her son who was being starved and who otherwise would have died. And can I tell you something this morning? After working with them, after growing up in the generation, people who are my age and who are younger are being starved of truth. They're being told lies by the enemy. Their minds are rot with it. Their identities are in shambles. And what this generation needs is a few good saints who are willing to pour into their lives, who are willing to bless them immensely more than what they have ever received, who are willing to bless them out of what God has blessed them with. Because this generation needs your generosity, church. They need you to be passionate about the message of Jesus that transforms them from the inside out, that sets them on a path and a calling 
that they wouldn't find anywhere else. They need you. They need your generosity. They, they need your stewardship. They need you, you to be generous, not just with your, with your resources, but with your time, with your discipleship, to pour into them and to build them up, to mentor them. And even though you may say they think differently than I do, everybody does. Or they, they, they have different viewpoints than I do. Everybody does. That doesn't change the fact that everybody still needs Jesus. That doesn't change the fact that God still wants to do a mighty thing through this generation. But that mighty thing is going to start when we pour in to them. It's all about the faith that we have. It's all about the faith that we have. And the underlying principle of this message is that it is not your resources that enable you to be generous. It is your faith in God that enables you to be generous because faith is a reservoir that does not run dry. This generation, they need your faith. Elijah was a prophet on the run. He was despised by nearly everybody for the truth that he proclaimed. He had no home. He had no relationships. He had no assets. He had no resources. Yet he had his faith. And his faith is what enabled him to show incredible trust in God. Let's take the widow again for an example. The widow had been stripped of her resources until she barely had anything left. But she still had her faith. It was not the woman's resources that determined the outcome. It was her faith in whether or not she, what she believed what the man of God said to be true. And I want you to think about this. Really think about this. Why would God send Elijah, who had the authority to end the drought, to a widow to be fed by a widow? Because once again, the blessing was not for Elijah. The blessing was for the widow. God wanted the woman to understand the sacrifice that it takes to be blessed. God wanted the woman to understand the deeper level of trust that comes through a generous heart. That if God can provide for me in this if God can provide for me in a drought, in a dreary season of my life, God can provide for me in anything. And I can assure you of that this morning, my friend, he will. He will provide. Because Philippians 4, uh, verse, verse 12, verses 12 and 13, they resound this truth so well. I know how to live on almost nothing. And I know how to live with almost everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or an empty one, whether it is with plenty or with little. What's the secret? I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And he goes on to say to you and I in verse 19, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in Christ Jesus. So let me ask you this this morning, my friend. What need do you have that my God cannot supply? What mental need do you have that he can't supply? What spiritual need do you have that he can't supply? What physical need do you have that my God cannot supply according to the riches that he has in Christ Jesus? Because whether we have a little or whether we have a lot, it takes stewardship and generosity of all sizes to see the kingdom of God advance. See, because the great equalizer in all of this is the power of Christ and the faithfulness of God that works through both the little and the much to do an incredible work. God took the faith of one prophet and the resources of one widow 
to do something miraculous and extravagant. Generosity and stewardship, they open the doors of abundance in our lives. Not always abundance coming into our lives, but abundance coming out of our lives. And I can assure you of this this morning. That if you're still on the fence about this generosity, if you're still on the fence about the resume of God and whether or not he's truly faithful, he will always provide for those who trust and take care of his mission. Because trusting in God through obedient generosity leads to extravagant blessing. So, what is, so after hearing all this, what do I need to do now? Well, here are some next steps for you this morning. Maybe you've been hearing about this, the faithfulness of God. Maybe you heard the words of Elijah to the widow and saying, fear not. Maybe you, you've heard these words of saying, I need to live a life with an open hand. But first, you need to experience the generosity of God through salvation in Jesus. I want to receive that, that, that faithfulness of God. It all starts with salvation. The next thing is this. You need to be generous with your resources. You need to be generous with what God has blessed you with. Or maybe you need to be generous with your purpose. You need to be generous with your calling. You need to be generous with how God has designed you to pour into others. Or maybe you need to pray and ask God, the Lord of the harvest, the God of all provision, Jehovah Jireh, to show you his faithfulness. To show you that even in spite of what you're going through, he's still there. Even in spite of the loneliness you're feeling, he's still there. Even in spite of the uncertainty and the fear that you're, that you're feeling right now in this moment that you walked into this place with, he's there and he's faithful. So looking back on this story and putting ourselves into the widow's shoes, each and every one of us would have been just as apprehensive as she was to risk what little she had for somebody that she did not know. But the other side of looking at this story as a whole allows us to also see what she was risking by not being generous. It allows us to see what Elijah was risking by not being generous. Elijah was risking seeing many more people than necessary die at the hands of a drought. The widow was risking starvation. She was risking not being able to provide for her household. She was even risking the death of her son. So the question remains for you and I this morning, and I wrestle with this too, am I truly willing to take the risk of not trusting God? And when you think about it, it's not really a risk at all. Because each of the characters in this passage, God Elijah, the widow, they became characterized by their generosity. Elijah was generous with his life. The widow was generous with her resources. God was generous out of the faithfulness of his character. But for Elijah and the widow, generosity stemmed from their trust in the faithfulness and the provision of God. All of that began, though, when Elijah trusted in God and followed the Lord's leading. And maybe you need to do that too this morning. Maybe you need to follow the Lord's leading today. So would you bow your heads with me in this place? Maybe you need to follow the Lord's leading in your life.
Maybe you, 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 you've heard these words and you really do want to experience the life-changing power of God through salvation in Jesus Christ. You want to experience that faithfulness, the hope that we have in Jesus. You, want, you don't want to fear anymore. You don't want to hold on to the shame and the guilt, the weight of the past. You want to walk freely and abundantly into life that God has for you. You want to receive salvation in Jesus Christ. If that's you this morning, if you're in this place today and you want to receive salvation, would you just do me a favor and lift up a hand in the house this morning? If you want to receive that, nobody looking around, it's just you and me. Just raise raise up a hand for me. Amen, I see that. Hallelujah. Anybody else in this house? Anybody at all? Maybe you're online and you need to text my decision to 94,000. But if you're in the room this morning and you're watching online with us, I want to pray with you. I want to lead you to the foot of the cross. So would you pray this prayer with me of salvation today? Heavenly Father, I admit that I'm a sinner. I admit that, 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 I've, that I've turned my life away from you, but today I want to receive the redemption, the restoration, the salvation that is provided to me through Jesus Christ. I want to turn away from the things that I've been doing, and I want to run fully into the abundance that you have for me. I want to receive your purpose, and I want to live it out in this life and in all of eternity. So God, I surrender to you today. I put my full faith and trust in you. And I pray all this in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said, amen. Can you give it up for those who put their salvation in Jesus today? It's an amazing decision. It's the best decision you'll ever make. But there are many more saints in the room this morning who you need to be like Elijah and you need to follow the Lord's leading. You need to be, begin living with an open hand, not a closed fist. You need to be generous with all that God has blessed you in your life. Not just your resources, but your time, your love, your forgiveness. And maybe you're in this place today and you're holding on to some of that. You're holding on to your forgiveness. You're holding on to your love. You're holding on to your generosity and your purpose because you're afraid of what will happen if you give it away. And this morning, if that's you today, our prayer team is going to be down here at the front in just a few minutes, just a few moments. And they want to pray with you. They want to lead you into what God has for your life, to trust him fully, to live life with an open hand, and to be a generous steward of what he has given you. Your purpose, your resources, your time, your love, everything. But let me pray for you one more time today. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word going forth. I thank you for the truth, the power, the transformation that it holds. And I pray, Lord God, that it would resonate in our hearts today that we would truly live life as a reflection of the generosity that you have shown to us and that nothing would separate us from the abundant life that you have for us, Lord God. So I pray, Lord Jesus, if there's anybody in this room this morning who needs to release the grip that they have on so many things, that they would take a step out of faith this morning, that they would come to this altar, that they would lay it down at this altar and they would pick up what you have for them pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you need, to, if you need to, to speak with a member of our prayer team, they're here this morning. They want to walk alongside you. But let's stand together this morning one more time as the worship team leads us.